Welcome to All Things Career. Our mission is to provide the unwritten rules of success for people of color. No matter if you have a job or own a business, we want to share information and experiences we wish we knew earlier in our careers. Kisan Patel is a founder and CEO of MA Science. He has a passion to drive the merger and acquisition industry forward because, like most traditional industries, MA has been slow to adopt new technologies and techniques. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me, Darius. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So, just to get started, do you mind telling our audience a little bit more about yourself, your experience, and what you're currently working on? Sure. I spent 10 years in MA advisory. So, it's a pretty typical founder story where you work in industry, you get familiar with the pain points and challenges. With that experience, I took a lot of inspiration from the software industry, particularly the way software engineers were utilizing these project management tools to manage developing software. Thought, why not for MA? This would help solve a lot of the challenges we had running these projects. And started the company Deal Room in 2012 with the goal of bringing that kind of product to our industry. We started with a focus on diligence management, that front end process when you really go through and do your diligence on a deal to make sure you identify the risks. And over time, we identified other adjacencies in terms of problems to solve and built that into the platforms integration management, pipeline management. So the product itself became a full lifecycle management solution for managing the whole deal process end to end. With our experience, when we started working with corporations, we quickly realized they all had this unique way of looking at M&A, which led to realizing there's this big underpinning problem in the whole industry. The industry itself is so siloed off that it lacks standardization and best practices. With the encouragement of a friend, I got into podcasting and essentially leveraged a podcast as a platform to enable practitioners in our industry to share their lessons learned. So we can in turn look for the patterns, identify the proven techniques and started documenting it. We ended up publishing a book called Agile m &A that was based on case studies with Google and Alassian and how they used Agile techniques with a lot of great success in their m and approach. Built that out and published it as a framework to help other organizations move from a traditional, very finance-focused M&A approach to something that's more people-focused around agility to deliver much better results. But that's our focus today is a bit of a hybrid between educational products and technology with our focus on corporate M&A. So we work with larger 1 billion plus market cap corporations and also private equity-backed roll-ups. All things M&A, that's pretty much what we do today. Man. There's so much to unpack there just because from the beginning, I also want to know how easy was it for you to pivot from being an advisor to being a key resource for the entire industry? Brutally hard. I have seven years of negative tax returns from that change to uh, validate how difficult that was. And I'm happy to take that apart and sort of elaborate on why that was <laughs> yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah, break that down just because full transparency here. Right before the pandemic, I was working with a tech company here in Indianapolis, and I didn't feel appreciated. I was on the business development team. I worked my ass off during the holidays, 
Hey, they just gave me a pat on the back and said, hey, good job. Here's a small bonus. But I knew exactly what we signed <laughs> just from my perspective. So I jumped into the entrepreneurial scene. I started my own marketing consultancy. So again, beginning of 2020, before the pandemic happened, I crushed it in the first 30 to 60 days. I matched my salary. But as soon as the pandemic happened, I lost all my clients. So I was scraping by just trying to do as many projects as possible just to cover my overhead. And long story short, now I'm back into the quote unquote rat race. I'm a sales and marketing manager for a PR agency. I love what I do, which is a plus. I'm able to meet tech startups. I'm able to work with publicly funded companies. But just hearing your experience, like, man, <laughs> that's gratifying to hear that. <laughs> demonstrated persistence, resilience, and discipline. And that's what got you to weather through. But the thing is, there's a sort of greater, I don't know if you're there yet. I think at some point you'll look back and realize those tough moments, tough times, and challenges would actually build you into a stronger character that allows you to be more successful in the long term. Even looking back at the things I've done where you got the immediate success or whatnot, you sort of built a cardboard box of a building that's relatively vulnerable to get knocked down versus when you go through all that brutal pain, learning falls, it makes you stronger. That's what sets you up for long-term success. So I would value all of that. I do today. When I look yeah, yeah. back at all the struggles, I value and cherish every bit of it. I appreciate that. I am at a place where I can appreciate the struggle. There's definitely been beauty in the madness. I have so much more tenacity. I can bring an entrepreneurial mindset to my organization, which has made me invaluable. Yeah, I'm definitely on the other side. <laughs> Very good. That's good. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about your transition, like your negative tax returns for seven years. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, a little bit when you do a tech business, it's a different business altogether. It's a lot right. you have to invest in. We didn't raise outside capital. I think there's a whole series of challenges we went to. I think one, a lot of times entrepreneurs get this idea, they fall in love with it and they want to run out and build the product as soon as they can take it to market. That's what we did. And we fell cursed to that because we didn't truly validate the problem that we're solving, not even the solution, the problem. I think that's one step a lot of entrepreneurs will skip over is can you really validate that you're solving a problem that's actually worth solving? And if you go through that process where you try to have about 40 conversations with different cohorts of people that would represent your customers, and ask them in a very unbiased way. You can't say, what are we trying to solve? We're trying to solve email spam because that's the thing that's bugging me today. Uh, you know, as a problem, I can't directly go to you and say, hey, Darius, is email spam a problem for you? And tell me, it's like, no, maybe this back up. When it comes to communication, what's your biggest challenge, right? And then I want to figure out what that is because you might not jump and say, email spam is my biggest problem. But I want to understand objectively, what are your top areas when one, two, and three of those challenging areas and do that in a way that is trying to be as biased as possible, dig in, learn as much as I can, understand the language you're using to articulate that problem that you have and do a series of interviews where I can identify a pattern. And if I go through this and I commonly see that email spams ranking up their top and things like that, and then you dig in, they can validate it and say, hey, this probably is a problem. 
we're solving for, or maybe I find something else that wasn't that it's sending follow-ups that you forget to send follow-ups. And that's actually your biggest problem. Then I, I may actually want to shift my focus and look to solve that. I think that was one thing we kind of came in with this idea that was inspiration from this other industry. But when we started outlining what we wanted to build, this feature creep kicks in and you start creating all these little solutions all over the place. And then you start building something that wasn't even the first thing that you were really trying to build, take it to market, fails. That's where we learned the hard way to go back and truly validate the problem first. And if you do that, then you create this feedback loop and bring these prospective customers into journey with you as you start prototyping. And it's nice when you're doing this very early where you may work with the junior designer student to start mocking up things and share it because it's inexpensive to make changes. And the last thing I want to do is build a product, take it to market, then try to make changes because it's going to be extremely expensive and time consuming to make changes when you have a built product. So try to keep this tight iterative feedback loop as we go through iterations of creating a solution, but also validating that solution. And then also another area in parallel you want to do is validate your go-to-market. Another thing we struggled with. So we struggled with this validating the problem. When we go through the solution phase, a big challenge was building your engineering team and actually creating the capability to build quality software. We can't run a restaurant and provide garbage food. That's not going to attract the return customers to grow the business. So same thing with software. You got to build a capability to build great software. That takes time. That's a whole learning curve of its own. Then comes the real hard part, which is when you actually go to market, build your distribution model to get the product to the right customers. And that's a whole challenge of its own. You got to build that model out and understand it for your industry. We made the mistake of copying what the encumbrance were doing. And what we're trying to do is disrupt them. So doing what they're doing wasn't helping us do that, burning through a lot of cash, trying to chase them in their own game. It wasn't until we rethought of it from scratch and how do we want to interact with our customers. And that was through quality content. We want to educate our customers. We want to provide value upfront for free by teaching them things on a whole different areas about the industry and show them that we're here to make a change in the industry. We're obsessing over our industry and the challenges, and we're out to set a difference and building that as part of our culture, part of our interaction, part of building a community around that of other practitioners that are hungry to grow, want to make a change in this industry. And that's what allowed us to leverage that as a catalyst to create more momentum as we interacted with these potential customers, learned about their challenges and identify with them how our solutions could help overcome those challenges. So there was a lot, I'd say, especially the first five years that we really had to go through that because I didn't come from a background working with a software business. I would add, reflecting back on all of that, Darius, if I were to do it again, I would have tried harder to get involved with the Series A startup just so I can see and learn how that process of capital deployment and the simulation of a business and the functions and those things happen the leadership, all those things that I'm learning the hard way today would have been great to learn on somebody else's dime. I'm so happy that you mentioned that. I have it here in my notes to just bring up the acquisition process, just because going through my own trials and tribulations of starting multiple businesses to just cover my overhead, 
it becomes a rat race very quickly. <laughs> and you're, again, just like you in your situation, you're trying to emulate other businesses by creating the same features. Wouldn't it have been cheaper for you to just acquire a business that was either, like you just said, working with a series A that was already going through exactly what you're going through to expedite your learning curve? So just going back to the acquisition process, if you could do it all over again, would you have purchased a business or, again, just worked with a Series A company? I think it depends what you're trying to do. For us, okay. disruption was a big part of our strategy. Mm-hmm. We saw the players there and knew they didn't have great products. They were charging an exuberantly high amount for their crappy products and thought this is an opportunity to come in and disrupt them. That was a big part of the trade. Now, if we were going in a different space, maybe these consulting practices, there's a bunch of little boutique consulting practices, and we wanted to combine them into a bigger entity to arbitrage the multipliers and be able to build that scale from it. It would have been a different approach. We could look at doing a series of acquisitions, leverage buyouts, and scale out that way. But because so much of what we wanted to do was around disrupting this business that's stagnant in processes from 20 years ago, we wanted to introduce this new way and technology of doing it. I think with that, there was still this ongoing learning curve. When we learned how to create a strong feedback with our customer, really build that relationship, that's when we started getting some momentum. We started understanding the problem better. We're better able to use their language in talking about the problem, better able to develop better solutions because we understood the problem better. And then continuing that same feedback loop, we found these adjacencies and built other business lines or functionality within existing business lines to cater to solve these other problems. But ultimately, what we built over time was a capability to problem solve. Beautiful. (laughs) And I love how you dissect problems by getting to the source and the root of it. I definitely appreciate that. So turning the conversation to help more of our corporate America listeners, change happens. Change management is terrible to be on both sides. (laughs) So for companies that are acquired or employees that now have a new manager, like what advice would you give them in just navigating all different types of change management? Communication. I think it all fundamentally comes down to communication. The worst is to be in the unknown. Nobody likes that. That's where we get all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So you want to stay out of that. Sometimes companies go through this process and they don't do the communication well. And that's when you start creating a lot of FUD in people. And that leads to people leaving their roles to find another opportunity. That happens. A lot of value leaves with them. So if you're in that other situation where maybe this change is happening and you feel that you're in the dark around it, I would ask questions. would really be proactive about getting this. If you can't get the information, maybe it is a sign that things aren't going the right way and there might be a lack of control or a real clear visibility into this destination that this organization is trying to go. So I would strive to ask questions between your leadership that you're reporting up to and maybe others that are now becoming part of this driver leadership of change, really figure out where they're trying to go. Understand if there's clarity on what the mission is, the vision, what are we trying to achieve? What's the end state? Where are we trying to go by creating all this change? 
what's going to be involved? How is my role going to change? How am I supposed to participate with this? Is there sort of a future for me or is this going to be more of a short term? What's the change plan look like? I think that's really important. Those are the tough questions that a good leader should be able to answer. I think with that also comes understanding the problems that your leadership, your boss, the boss's boss have, understanding that I think sometimes that gets forgotten and we get caught up in tactical tasks on our plate, but I like to work with our team so that they understand there's a big picture, but then there's big challenges we need to overcome. And if you can dig into that, understand leaders in the organization, what challenges they have, sometimes it's just having a little sidebar conversation saying, hey, Darius, I'd love to spend a little time with you and learn a little bit about your experience and so forth and kind of talk a little bit about what's going on with our organization today. With that, have a good conversation. Obviously, being curious is a good attribute to have, but then understand what are your challenges that you face. That way I can, as a participant, help align myself to help you overcome those challenges or achieve those goals. Fundamentally, that's how you be successful in a corporate environment is solving bigger problems that mean a lot to corporations. I'm always intrigued when I see the young person in their early 30s or whatnot, their partner of the firm, or they meet this executive level. When you reverse engineer that, it was them being very curious and digging up and understanding things from beyond their view, but even looking at things from their manager's view, their manager's view, and understanding what are they dealing with? What are those problems? And pushing themselves up to solve the bigger problems that are more concerning to the executive team. And that's what really starts getting that attention. When you're solving bigger problems, you're creating more value. When you have that ability to create more value, you tend to get promoted and pushed up faster. That is a quotable moment. Just solving bigger problems by being curious. That's awesome. Everybody's got it. Every role has got it. You can ask anybody, what's your biggest challenge you face today? <laughs> and nobody's going to say, no, I don't have any challenges. Right. And another thing though, no one wants to be the problem inside of an organization. So just getting the problems to the forefront will help create a culture or a safe space to where people can then help each other out. Completely agree. I think that's a big part of it. Again, it goes back to communication framework. We talk about what creates a positive work environment. It's three big elements. One is creating a communication framework or platform where every participant feels their voice is heard. And I've had many instances of this where even the most junior person, I remember on our engineering team, came up with an idea that ended up being one of the leading features in the product. So being able not only to solicit ideas, but also identify where the cracks are appearing in our business so we can solve those things before they blow through the floor and cause bigger problems. I think the second is acknowledging achievements. That's a really important thing because everybody wants to feel that their work is appreciated and it's contributing value. It's taking time to do that and trying to do it broadly. Even our company, we try to do it across the groups. So marketing's achievement, sales and engineering, it gets recognized across the whole organization. And then I think the third is to create an environment where you feel you worked amongst friends, that you want to work where you feel you're excited about the people you work with. You're very comfortable having some fun, whether it's a joke or just being able to ask for help. I think that's really important. And that's why we try to do these little events, whether it's a fly-in or something it's to socialize some of our video calls. It's really important to create that that positive work environment, but it seems to be consistently those three elements that attribute to it. 
I know that we're coming close to the end of our conversation, but I do want to touch on the remote work. Knowing that we are under a pandemic and companies are working in silos, essentially, like what are some ways that employees can feel connected? I guess it goes back to the communication. Sometimes it's just creating the extra effort to make sure you're talking to folks. I think sometimes it's just, especially for us as a growing business, you don't get as much time to have the one-on-ones, but you really got to make time and really encourage the transparency just to try to avoid as much silos as you grow is a big thing that we've been dealing with. So we're really encouraging folks to talk openly and whether it's Slack channels or things of that sort, put a little fun in there with the little random channels. But I think it's just, you got to put a lot of effort in communication. I know some organizations do it really well. They find different little games and those social activities. But I think it's those kind of things when you can sort of just check in with folks, see how they are, be able to have a mix between transparency for broader communication, but then also giving people the one-on-one to do a check-in, how are things going, how's family and things like that, just to put a personal touch and feel to it. Right. And it sounds very simple. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I think the tricky thing that is the culture part, when you start really focusing on how you're working remotely, is it's a little different and unique to identify with that. You know, what defines our cultures? And I, I find that we talk about that a little more and start emphasizing what those key areas are so that we keep a level of commitment to it. You know, for us, just the nature of our industry that we work with these large financial transactions, responsiveness is huge. That we have a lot of sensitivity with the deals you work on. We don't know what we're working on until it gets announced. And sometimes you'd be working a multi-billion dollar deal and not even know it until it gets announced. So that's a big part of our culture. We need to talk about that and reinforce it, that are you living by that in terms of responsiveness and really acting on things when you need to? Yeah, I love it. Well, this is one of my last but favorite questions to ask. What's the best advice or unwritten rule that you've ever received? (sighs) Yeah, I I think it's like still empathy is the biggest that I've learned. I remember I struggled with leadership early. I was only managing five people and I was struggling. <laughs> Goldston called Just Listen. It's all about empathy. And it, it really opened my eyes because I had no idea how that actually played out and how important it was in both the professional and personal relationships you have. And to try to explain it in a pretty fundamental way, but it's when you enter these conversations with people, a lot of times we prioritize our own agenda and what we want to get out of the dialogue and conversation. And it's important to put that to the side and zero up, like get to a point where you can, even if we're having a conversation about something like M&A and I feel I'm a subject matter expert at it, I can still learn something from you because you may have had experience when a company got acquired and there's some unique experience. I need to be able to assume what I know is wrong or I know nothing and get in that mind frame so I can objectively listen to you, understand how you're thinking, how you see things, how do you feel, why do you feel that way? understand your goals, your challenges, that'll get me thinking about how I can align myself to help you achieve those goals, or overcome those challenges. That's what gets you far in life. When you could do that, when you can help others achieve their goals and overcome challenges, it's not pushing your own agenda. It doesn't work that way. I think that's probably the one thing I've learned when I started understanding empathy and the way it applies and how you use that to connect with people, to make them feel felt. But more importantly, leverage that to be able to help people in a way 
and it just comes right back. It'll turn around and reciprocate, especially if you're good at solving problems for people. They tend to pay you pretty well for doing that. I think that's probably the biggest lesson that made an impactful difference in my professional career. You've been listening to All Things Career. Make sure you subscribe to learn more ways to increase your value. And don't let what you learned today go to waste. Leave a review and let us know how you plan on using today's content to improve your career. Thanks for listening.